Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. But a champion becomes a legend! McCarty Neighbors won it! Perkins goes in first. What a legend. What a champion. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, a great pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And my guest today thrilled us all with his high-flying antics on the football field, but he was much more than that. He played in excess of 200 games and kicked in excess of 400 goals. His name is Russell Robertson, the demon of days gone by, and he's in the studio. Robbo, welcome. Honest, thanks for having me, mate. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here in this new auspicious studio. It's very swish, isn't it? It's very good. I like yes. I've got the cricket up here I can watch, and uh, you've got the nice LED behind me. How good's this? Yeah, well, just not too much of the cricket. Just concentrate on what no, we're yeah, talking about, yeah, if you can. But if you want to give us cricket updates, and that's fine. Uh, you're looking well? I'm feeling good, mate. Yeah, I'm... Uh, what ten years out of the game now? Mm. Um, and does you know, it seem like it was only yesterday? Yes, that ten years, absolutely. But saying that, in saying that, it feels like it was another life. It's such a strange thing that we do, and it would only be stranger now for these kids because you know every year it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, more of a business, and you know the way media is now. For us, it was a little quieter, but uh, it, it it does feel like it was a different lifetime because my life now is, you know, it's quieter. I still get involved with football and Melbourne Football Club with my, my work there. Um, but, you know, the the bright lights of the MCG and, and you're living to perform, you're living to uh, get the best out of yourself in football and see where you can go and what you can do and try to get this club to a premiership. And next thing you know, you're, you're working normal hours, you know, you've got family life and, uh, you know, you go into the gym off your own accord, mm. you know, fitness first rather than, you know, a guy telling you what to do every day. So, yeah, it's a strange life. It really is. Ten years out of the game now. One thing that football clubs, I think, are doing a lot better is they're looking after the players once they depart the game. There's yes. a lot more welfare for players because, yes. as you said, it's the lure of the lights at the MCG. You know, yeah. it's, it's a very addictive thing. And all of a sudden, once you reach that cutoff point, mm. it ends mm-hmm. at that point yeah. right there. And that can be a very difficult thing for a lot of players to handle. I was having this conversation with someone in a cafe just the other day and we, we brought to light a few things, really. For me, I, I transitioned quite well. There was some stuff that I had to deal with, um, no longer being able to do. I suppose you've you've been trained all your life um, a certain way and there is this ultimate goal, this ultimate dream always out there and all of a sudden it's over mm. and you're not even halfway through your life. You know, it's over. There's no longer this strive. There's this, you've done it. You did it and well done. It's great. You know, I was lucky, like you said, with my stats to get out a good 13 years. Um then I had to sort of go, well, what now? You know, what what am I actually striving for to achieve in life? For me, I was lucky I had all these other supports in interests. Um, I have passions outside of 
football. My music is one of those. My family is the next. Family's first, of course, but then there's lots of different interests in my life, things that I like to do. Gardening. I love to garden. It harks back to my Tasmanian uh, upbringing in a small town. Um, I can entertain myself quite easily with things that are wholesome and positive. I think those that struggle are the ones that don't have those things, and especially the ones that finish up probably seven years too early or six years too early. Mm-hmm. Then they've got all this energy, and now what do I do? I can no longer do this one thing that I was trying to do. It's the only thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to play AFL footy, and I did it, and I was able to do it, and every time I played, I wanted to get better and better and better and better and improve and stay there. Then all of a sudden, off you go, son. You're yeah. done. You know, Go find something else in life. Exit strategies were terrible. When I finished up, I feel like they're a lot better now. Before me, even worse. So it's something that still needs to improve, I think. Uh, and there's only so much you can do. You know, you can lead a horse to water. You can't obviously make them, you know. So I feel like I could have been handled a little bit better, but I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. I had plenty of things to do. You mentioned Cam Bruce, one of your old teammates. Um, footy clubs are amazing places when they get around each other, as they yep. like to say. And you had to do that this year mm. with a former teammate Correct. in Brad Green. It must have been a terrible thing for the football club and all the people who know him well. Yeah, and it was. And it was something probably worse for the girls too because um, we, were, we were a bit of a family uh, that era. Um, Cameron Bruce met his wife the same time as Greeny met his and I met mine. So we all, Daniel Ward, you know, we all sort of hung out a lot. We we have a annual Christmas party every year still to this day. Coming up in December, late December, we all bring our food and sit around the, the pool and we talk and it's great. This year, one of us isn't going to be there and, mm. and that's going to be really tough to deal with. The girls really find it hard. Anna Green was a beautiful girl, wonderful, wonderful girl. Never, ever caused an issue in her life, I don't think. Greeny might tell you otherwise, but, <laughs> but for as far as we knew, just a lovely, lovely girl. Uh, two young kids. There's nothing you can say that's good about it. It's just awful. And uh, trying to find the reason why will only make you, you know, feel worse. It was a set of circumstances, uncontrollable, and, and it all led to the ultimate end for her. Um, and we're all really sad for him, but... Like you say, Pete, we got around him as much as we could. Cameron Bruce was amazing, obviously. Greeny's best friend, he did not leave his side the whole time. He slept next to him in the hospital when he was there um, on the floor. The last 48 hours, we all slept on the floor in the waiting room and the, the nurses were, were, were wonderful. They they you know helped us. They brought us drinks and whatnot to get us through. They understood that um, you know this girl was on the way out and... Uh, um, we were all just there to support him. And I'm just so amazed at Greeny's strength through that time. I think he showed strength for all of us, you know. He um, has the kids to concern himself with, so um, I suppose that's what got him through. Um, at some point, Greeny's going to find it really, really hard. Um, the world's got around him and looking after him. I hope that that sticks around to, to, to you know, keep him up and about. Um, but I guess, you know, we can't always be there. So... Yeah, he's certainly got a, a tough few years on his uh, ahead for him. Speaking of kids, you've got a few of your own to handle yeah. at the moment. Yeah, How's that going? Three boys. Uh, one of them's mine, two to my, my partner. Um, so two stepsons who, just because of time, and and uh, they, they just feel like they're mine. Do awesome. they love footy? They love their footy. They love their basketball, Pete. It's yeah. all about basketball, mate. And 
Good, because I think basketball teaches you a great skill for football as well. You know, how um, you'll bring in, like, look at Pendles. Mm. This guy's a freak. He's always got time. He's always got time. He plays upright. He's got that stiff back. He's look, he can see the game because he's higher than everybody else. That's a basketball thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, oh, he floats like a basketball. Well, yeah, he does, but it's because he's upright. Footballers have got that hunch stance. He brings in this basketballer attitude and he, he moves the ball around the ground like a basketballer does. So I'm kind of pleased that they are playing basketball, the boys, because ultimately when I say you can no longer play basketball and just football, mate, <laughs> no, I won't do that. My boy Tex, he's um, he's doing quite well. He's playing rep basketball at the moment and uh, I'm travelling here, there and everywhere all over this great town of ours. But you wouldn't miss it for the world, would, would you? would not miss it for the world, mate, the development. Do you know, mate, I, I, I think about what this must have been like for my mum and dad uh, to see me achieve. I remember when we played in the grand final in 2000 um, against Essen and we won't go too deep into what happened in 2000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, mum said she just could not stop crying before the game, watching all this gala stuff going on uh, out on the ground, you know, the singers and, you know, what we like pre-game in the grand final, that her little boy was about to run out and play a game of football on that, in front of all that. And I get it now, mate. I get it now because I've got a nine-year-old who's starting to do well with sport and to see him do stuff, sometimes you just sort of go, oh, gosh, you know, I nearly crumble. So it was a wonderful time, mate. I I, I just think back to the football career and, and smile and go, how lucky was I? to be able to do that for my mum and dad, to, to make them proud. Um, we never thought I'd get anything out of football, but I got so much, and they got more than me. And now I'm looking to my boy Tex and, and to this two, two step boys to, you know, I, I want to impart the knowledge that I got to help them. That would be the ultimate thing in life. I do these talks all the time around, around Melbourne schools, mostly footy clubs, and it's through the AFL. I've been doing this for 15 years now. It's around... Uh, violence against women, drugs, alcohol, a little bit of depression stuff as well. I mean, we don't directly talk about that stuff, but it's it's all about coping mechanisms. And, um, you know, I talk about my story a bit, and they really enjoy uh, the stuff around what my dad did to develop my game. And the resultant, uh, the result for me was obvious. I got it to go on and play AFL football 228 games, as you said. But the result for him was tenfold more. You know, his own son got to do all those things he got to watch, just sit back and be proud and hear all the nice things that were said, some not so nice, but mostly nice. And But he did that for me. And I'd love to explain it to you. I mean, my dad's a school teacher, secondary school teacher. He uh, worked really hard, MDT, you know what that means. For those people that don't know, that's like woodwork, metalwork, mm. you know, electronics, you know, all that sort of uh, handy stuff. Um where a lot of kids just go for a bit of a bludge, really, don't they? It's like, kind of like home ec. You know? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Some are really into it, and they're thinking about tradey stuff later on. But at high school, you know, you, you tend to sit and muck around in the workshop. So dad, you know, worked pretty hard. And he'd come home some days pretty tired and sick of kids. He's got four of his own, three daughters, one son. So I guess the natural thing for him to, I guess it was his um, uh, re- release and relaxed was to kick the footy with his son out the front. And he'd always say to me, come on, boy, let's go. We had a big front yard down there in Tasmania. And and we would do all sorts of things. And I'd have mates there and we'd kick. And he'd kick the ball up for us, just one-on-one. I'm short. You're probably taller than me, uh, Pete. I'm uh, six foot. And I just couldn't get anywhere near the ball. You know, my taller mates would just outmark me. But I've got a really good set of hands. And the nicest thing that anyone ever says said about me in my whole football career was Chris Fagan, my mentor and coach in the Tassie team. 
he said that I'm the best mark he's ever seen for my size. And that's wonderful to hear. You know, there's a lot of great markers out there and, and, and to hear that best set of hands he's ever seen for someone my size. Mm. And I, I was a good mark, a, a terrible tackler. You know, I'll, I'll give you the negative thing. You can't have everything, you can't right? have everything, mate. <laughs> but I could mark the ball. And it was always really tough uh, to get near the ball. So Dad said to me, why don't you just stand off your mates a little bit, run into them, get some leverage off the hips. So I did that, and I started to get a little bit more height, and I'd get near the ball, make more of a contest of it. But mates don't really like it when you're bruising up their hips all the time. Yeah. So they, they, they learn pretty quick. They don't come around anymore. So we had to figure something else out to develop my game. So we Dad got this 4 we 2 he put it on the shed, affixed it, and then he got one of mum's stockings. He put a footy into the leg of the stocking. He tied one of my rubber inner tubes to my bike, my 10-speed, to one end and the other end to the 4 we 2 and the ball was just hanging there above my head, right? Now, we we know famously in this country Don Bradman and his training mm. technique with the stump and the golf ball against the corrugated iron uh, water, water tank, which helped his hand-eye coordination. He'd sit there hour after hour after hour just trying to middle that stump with the golf ball off this... You know, this undulating surface, which I don't know whether that made him the greatest cricketer of all time, but it certainly would have helped. This was my training technique like that. Hour after hour after hour, I'd run up and just mark the ball. I'd grab it, I'd bring it to the ground, and I'd let the ball go, and it would always just rebound to above my head. So I always had it there to do. And then mates would come around, would wind the ball around a bit, the, the stocking around a bit, and it'd be high, and then we'd be taking hangers, bringing the ball to the ground, and it would just rebound. It'd be there all the time. Further from that, we didn't have a lot of money. Dad's a teacher, mum's a nurse. Uh, we, uh, we, Dad got a ruck bag and he put it on his back and he'd throw the ball up into the air and I'd take hangers on his back. Mm. Now, that can't help, you know, your back at that age, you know. <laughs> so, But Dad did it. I'd be on the trampoline, he'd kick the ball up, I'd jump off the trampoline and catch the ball and land on the hard ground. But it learnt my, I learned how to land and proprioception and all that sort of stuff. Did we, you have any pranks off the trampoline? Oh, yeah, plenty. Yeah. Well, the interesting days, because it wasn't a great trampoline, were when the springs would spring off and <laughs> dart into a million miles and it'd miss your face by millimetres. Maybe you know? shoot the next door neighbour. <laughs> yes. But, oh, yeah, I mean, it was, for me, it was just golden time in my life. It was me and my dad working yeah. on my game. That mechanism, Robbo, that your dad put in place paid dividends, and we're going to talk about some of those dividends when we come back on the other side of the break. Russell Robertson is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Plenty more coming up with Robbo after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. What a pleasure it is to have Russell Robertson as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Just before we get into your great career, you mentioned your boys. Mm -hmm. Have you brainwashed them? Are they Melbourne? Yes. Well, my boys, no choice. He was a Jesse Hogan fan, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. Uh, Max Gorn's there still, and uh, he still loves the Ds. Jack Biney. My uh, his best mate uh, growing up was a Brisbane Lions supporter purely because his old man was a, a Fitzroy supporter. Uh, but I was in there from a very early age with paraphernalia that I pick up from the club, and I'd just hand that on. And now he is an avid Melbourne fan as well. So I'm starting to 
bring him across. We need soldiers like that out there for the Melbourne Football Club to get as many members as we can. All right. You spoke about the early days in Tassie. You spoke about what your dad did to get you to footy at the top level, coming through the under-18s in Tasmania. And you also talked about the fact that you're a Carlton fan. Yep. Was it always Melbourne that you were going to finish up at in that draft, Robbo, or was there interest from other people? No interest anywhere else, mate. I had a really good year in uh, 95, uh, 96, um, when I got drafted, 96. I'd kicked something like 50 goals um, for the Tassie Mariners out of full forward. Uh, I'd started off on a wing because of my size uh, the year before, uh, but Chris Fagan saw that there was some just some, you know, I only wanted to kick a goal and he knew it and let the boy just kick a goal. So I went to full forward and... Things started to click. Um, I'd, I'd had some interest from Melbourne before that. The marks certainly uh, were the clincher. Do you reckon you would have been drafted? No. Had those almost footy no. legends clips not gone on? Nope. It was time for Melbourne to find something, a diamond in the rough, if you will. Um, finished on the bottom of the ladder, I think, in 96. You know, Barmy had a lot of injuries at his club at the time. Gary Lyon famously with his back. Um, Todd Viney was coming towards the end of his career. We didn't know how much longer Jim's going to last in the game. Uh, we'd been a, such a soldier, but, you know, 14 years, you know, um, there was a whole uh, bevy of those kind of guys. Um, so Melbourne needed to get on the recruits. So I think, um, you know, they started to um, clear out the list a little bit and drafted a lot of young kids in. And I was just one of those guys that they thought, well, maybe he can, you know, maybe he can play on the forward line and do something. Uh out of Tasmania that year, there was eight of us drafted and only one of us out of those eight were able to play over uh, 20 games, which was me, obviously, and I was the last one picked. So sometimes you never know. You never know what's going to happen. I came over, I would, it all just sort of came together for me um, and I ended up having a, a nice career, but I don't think I would have gone anywhere else, no. Nice career, I think, is probably an understatement, Robbo. It's a very <laughs> modest way of putting it. When you played 228 games and kicked 428 goals and I've got the um, the AFL record guide in front of me. Yeah. They devote a whole section yeah. to players who've kicked more than 400 goals, oh, which wow. I'm showing you now. Oh, wow. So to do that must be some sort Something, of achievement yeah. in the game. Yep. It's a long way from Tassie to the Wacker ground in Perth. Yes, first game. First game. What do you remember? <laughs> Surprisingly a lot. Um, so I'd found out on the Wednesday night – that I was going to be playing. Um, Damien Gasper was a player at our team, in our team at the time, famous Western Australian name, Gasper. Being, his brother played at Richmond, uh, fullback, good player. Uh, he came up to me uh, at training and he said, mate, you're playing this week. I was on the rookie list. I said, no, I'm on the rookie list. I can't play. He said, no, no, I just went into the, to the um, coach's room and I saw your name on the board. He wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't supposed to tell me. <laughs> this was... And I will say, this was uh, Greg Hutchison. This wasn't uh, Barmy. Barmy had been sacked four weeks before, five weeks before. Um, and Diamond Joe showed him the door and uh, there was a lot changing, a lot of changes. And it went on, mate. We, we had a new CEO, a new president every two years. Melbourne, I don't, if you haven't get a chance, buy Neil Danaher's book. You'll learn a lot about the Melbourne Football Club through uh, the early uh, late 90s, 2000s. Far out, it was a schmozzle. And it's any wonder that we got to play as many finals. I don't know how we did it. But anyway, that's another story. Damien comes in and he says, mate, you're playing. I'm like getting a little bit nervous. Like, really? What? I'd had some really good games in the reserves. I think I averaged 10 plus contested marks for five or six weeks in a row. And things were coming together real well. And that's only because 
Matt Rendell was coaching uh, the reserves at the time and in, in classic Bundy style came up to me and said, mate, you're going back to Tassie at the end of the year. You might as well have some fun for the rest of the ten, the rest of the year. You've been shit ass to this point. <laughs> so that sounds like Matty. Yeah, you might as well have some fun. And I did. I just, I, I, I changed in that moment. It was a big moment for me. Uh, I, I went out in the footy field and I played with that. I suppose you remember how I played. I played like that for the rest of my career, which is that devil may care sort of attitude. Mm. Whatever. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and see what happens, you know. And it, it most most times it worked. Hutchie comes, uh, we're out on the ground, and Hutchie announces it before training, and oh, my God. And then he says to me after training, you're not allowed to tell anyone. Don't tell anyone till tomorrow because we're doing the changeover of the list. Dean Irving is being uh, delisted, a long-term injury, and then we'll delist him at the end of the year. You're coming onto the list. Bang, wow, can't believe it. I couldn't even ring my dad to tell him. I had to wait 24 hours, and the boys were told, don't tell anyone. And then 24 hours later, I had one of the proudest moments of my life was calling Dad to tell him. The only shame was that it was in Perth. Mm. You know, Mum and Dad couldn't make it. The game started. Uh, we flew over, and I was just so chuffed. I was so proud. Mum and Dad couldn't go, but that's okay. And being with the team, I couldn't believe it, David Needs. You know, I'm going out in the field with Schwarter and the whiz. Oh, my God. What's this going to be like? Anyway, oh, half an hour before the game, torrential rain. It just blew in like it does in Perth, mm-hmm. and then it buggered off just as quick. And I thought, oh, well, the ground's going to be all boggy. You know, going up in Tasmania, I know what rain's like. Going in the ground, it was like it never happened. It's like a carpet, that ground. Carpet. It, it, you could play yep. lawn bowls. You could putt on that ground the way Correct. Unbelievable, yet still soft enough to play the game of football. So wonderful. I'm like, oh, how good is this? But I remember running out on the ground and feeling the air just thick. The crowd's going off. The music's going. We don't have this at Punt Road Oval playing in the reserves, <laughs> kicking the jaw off. Uh, ran through the banner, and I'm looking around just going, how good is this? And then I turned to see that the team were probably about 50 metres away. I was running the wrong way because I was just spectating, having a look around. <laughs> anyway, ran over to them. The rest kind of is a bit of a blur, but my first kick was a beautiful pass by Todd Viney. Strangely hit me on the chest. I don't think he ever did that, Todd Viney. <laughs> I always joke about that with him, but uh, it was a beautiful pass. 45 metres out, not too uh, bad angle. Kicked a point with my first first kick on in footy, but I think I got a, a goal with my second or third. So You remember the goal? Uh, yes, I do. Um, it was just a, a set shot and... But I, do you know what? I remember the next week more than I probably remember the first game because that was the MCG. That was against uh, St Kilda and mum and dad were there. And you think the Wacker, which is a wonderful ground, don't get me wrong, uh, you think the Wacker was amazing. The MCG, night game. Oh, my God. A lot of great players to talk about. You mentioned one, the Wiz. I want to talk about him when we come back on the other side of the break and a few others as well. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Robbo, Russell Robertson, on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Russell Robertson, the Melbourne great of days gone by. Does that sit all right with you? 228 games, 428 goals? 
You got I, Gary Lyon by two I, goals. Yes, you know. it was so great because of that. <laughs> That's probably my proudest stat. You've got to remind him of that. Uh, we mentioned the whiz, Jeff Farmer, yeah. before the break. What was it like playing alongside him? Because he's sitting in the pocket and you're thinking, I'm going to take a hanger at some stage, mm. knowing that he might even better it yep. before the day's out. There's a game we played Queen's Birthday. Do you remember this one, mate? He, uh, he didn't get a touch. I remember it. Yes, uh, and and I think Neil was talking about this. It's in the book as well, uh, how <laughs> he was so angry with the Wiz for bringing this crap to a big game. Oh, he needed the Wiz, and he did nothing. He uh, took him off the ground halfway through the second and had a touch. Put Ben Beams on, uh, Benny Beams, who was a sort of in-and-out player at the Melfordy Club from Tasmania. He, uh, he went on, I think he had an instant impact, but... A couple of plays later, he broke his collarbone, and we had no other option. After half time, this is to bring the whiz back on, but unbeknownst to everybody, uh, Neil had in the in the rooms downstairs before all the players came in, grabbed Wizard's name off the board and threw it across the floor in disgust and lost it and said, "Won't be needing that today." To the other coaches, anyway, halfway through the second or just at the start of the second quarter after the injury, he had to bring the whiz back on. Now. He had to ask Chris Fagan to go back down to the rooms to find Jeff Farmer's magnet because he didn't want to go out at three-quarter time <laughs> and have his name written in pen on the, in a texture on there because the wizard would be like, what's up there? So Fags went downstairs, found the uh, magnet, came back up. Thank God he found it. And the whiz ended up kicking nine goals one, I believe, uh, in the next half. Now, lesser story to that is I'd taken 13 marks in the first, I think it was in the first quarter, I was on track to breaking a, a world record in the forward line. This is not chipping the ball around in the back line, um, you know, Brian Harris style. I think he holds mm. the record now. This is contested, leading up. You don't even see a lead-up mark anymore. These were lead-up marks. And I was on fire. I kicked about three goals. Enter Jeff Farmer after halftime. Exit Russell Robinson. I don't think I got a touch after that. <laughs> it was just a show, and it was unbelievable. But I take you back a couple of years to – to 98 when we played a really great final series. We beat Adelaide by 50, 60 points in the first final. Adelaide went on to win the grand final in 98 against North Melbourne, upset North Melbourne. Darren Jarman know what he did in the last quarter. We played St Kilda the next week. We beat them by 30, 40 points. We were going really well. We had the end of Steve Phoebe, the end of Jim Steins. We had the end of Todd Viney, uh, Stephen Tingo, those sorts of guys, uh, and a great bunch coming through. Uh we lost to North Melbourne in a night final. Uh, we just couldn't get over him. Oh, and Wayne Carey, we just couldn't beat him. We didn't have a, we didn't have any way to stop him, and we weren't able to get through to the grand final. I reckon that was our best chance. Not two thousand. Our best chance was ninety eight. Probably not. And two thousand two and two thousand four, we had really great teams as well. But um, there's reasons why I think we didn't get that far. But Jeff Farmer in ninety eight was doing things out on the football field, and I'll say it. He was taking the piss. He was so far ahead of the game in that. Do you know that mark he took over Gary Lyon, that one where he stood in the middle of Gary's yeah. back? That was that final series. That was the first. Uh, that was the last game of the year. Mm. Leading in, he was doing these two-handed buddy uh, passes, uh, scoop passes, not scoops, but tap passes to blokes who couldn't even believe they got the ball off him. Kicking goals, eight goals, seven goals, nine goals, but kicking amazing goals. He's a freak, absolute freak, and probably one of the best players I've ever seen up close. Unfortunately, he went to Fremantle. Now, he went because of his grandmother. Um, if he'd have stayed at Melbourne, I think he would have been a much better player. And his own admission, he'd say the same thing. 
But the pressure of being around your family uh, was a lot on him over there. And, and uh, I think we didn't get to see the best of Jeff Farmer. And he could have been one of the greatest Indigenous players of all time. And that's what I love about the Indigenous guys. They could just do the most amazing things and call in the whiz for a reason. And then he would turn around and take a mark 12 metres out from goal and try to play on. Gary Lyon <laughs> standing in the goal square, not really expecting to get the handball. <laughs> I love that little sequence. I, I love the reaction from Gaz <laughs> yes. after that. He yeah. just looks at him and don't do slow that. Slow down, mate. Just <laughs> slow down. And then he, it flashes up to Barmy upstairs and he's doing that, yeah. holding his eyes and shaking his head and you see his whole face <laughs> wobble. <laughs> Hey, speaking of Queen's birthdays, one of your great games, I reckon, was Queen's birthday. You kicked 7-1 Queen's yes. birthday, didn't yes. you? Look, I, I was lucky that day. I was playing on Heretier. Uh, he was Harry O at the time. Uh, O'Brien and he, rather than Lumumba. Yeah, Lumumba. Yeah. He uh, was a very good stopper, a very, very tough player to play on because he would just belt you all the time and stop you from running where you wanted to go. And a level of intelligence with football, I think, was pretty good. Um, unfortunately, he got injured uh, late in the first quarter. I went on to kick seven. I think I played on Reese Stanley amongst a bevy of others. Um, and I'm reminded of that every day, uh, I, I reckon. Every other day. I remember you kick seven goals, Queen's birthday. I'll talk to any Collingwood supporter anywhere and they say the same thing. I remember you, Queen's birthday. I hated you that day. We mentioned a couple of very good games that you had, but a 73-goal season. Yeah. That was your best haul for a season. Not many do that. You talked to Jared Healy, I think, who was the uh, chairman of uh, All Australian Selection that year. Give him a whack for me, would you? Because right he uh, didn't pick me. I see small forwards get All Australian kicking thirty goals. I was a small forward, mate. I kicked seventy three goals and didn't get in. <laughs> so he said to me on the Australia tour, because I got selected to play for Australia that year. He said to me, "Look, mate, it was between you and Spider Everett." And uh, we wanted you to have two good years in a row before we put you in. I was like, oh, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll do it some other time. I'll get in some other time. Well, I didn't get in any other time. And now I think to myself, two good years? Isn't it just the best team of that year? <laughs> you know, Spider had a good year too, so they decided to have a resting Ruckman in the forward pocket. So, oh, well, I missed out. But, yeah, look, it was a great year. I, um, I, th- I think uh, it just all came together. And I say to this day... When I kicked seven goals against uh, Collingwood Queen's birthday, Nita wasn't playing. When I kicked seven goals down in Geelong uh, on Scarlo and all those guys, Nita wasn't playing. That year, Nita didn't play much. He kicked 73. If it wasn't for stinking David Neitz, Hall of, Australian, uh, Hall of Famer, <laughs> I might have been a Hall of Famer myself. <laughs> Past guest on this program, so you don't diss him, and I'm sure he'll be listening, and I'm sure there's something coming back to you next Absolutely. time he sees you. We're just about out of time, Robbo. We'll take our final break. And... I want to touch on something that you just touched on before. You mentioned 98. Yep. You mentioned 2000. Yep. You mentioned 2002. Yeah. mentioned 2004. Yeah. It's a bit of a pattern going on there, yes. and I'll touch on that when we come back on the other side of the break. Our final segment with Russell Robertson coming up next on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with Russell Robertson on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. All right, I did the math before, as I like to say in America, uh, before the break. Why was it up, down, up, down? It must have been like a roller coaster, that Uh, team, for a while. It was. Again, I'll, I'll 
you know, encourage people to buy Neil Danaher's book because it gives a pretty, uh, um, uh, you know, um, unsort of uh, edited version of, of what was going on with the football club back then. Um, it was tough for us. We were the nomads of the AFL. We didn't have a home base. We really didn't. Well, I think when we left the MCC in the 80s, it might have been the 70s, 80s, we left and we went out into the wilderness on our own with nothing. Um, we didn't have a... Uh, Melbourne Football Club's grown out of the MCG. You know, Collingwood grew out of a suburb. Richmond, Geelong, Footscray. You know, you've got a supporter base from the old back there and, and business or whatever. I know it's different now, but for a long time in the 80s and 90s, we had no, I suppose... Uh, there's been some people, famous people like Jack Elliott said we stood for nothing, which we hated hearing that because we invented the game of football, so we had to stand for something. But certainly the way we were playing um, for a long time after um, the 50s and 60s, the golden era, uh, Norm Smith and Ron Barassi, we have, haven't won a, a premiership. It's been really tough in a business sense because it started to get more business in around that time, the 60s and 70s. 70s started to be a bit more of this. People were playing for money. We were recruiting people down to Eston for money. You know, Carlton had come for money. Before it was all the honour of playing for the MCC, you know, the uh, the white silver tails, the white collar, get a good job. It's not like that anymore. And uh, Melbourne has struggled to find itself for a long time. Being down at the Junction Oval, we couldn't get on the ground. As you know, they play the uh, the Victorian... Um, Div 1 Premiership there every single year at St Kilda, um, St Kilda Junction Oval. That was our training ground, small ground. Couldn't get on it till April, late April. So we'd be training at Bulleen, um, Trinity Grammar. We'd be training at the Western Oval, uh, Witten Oval, sorry. We'd be training at Vic Park. Every year it changed. And in one day I'd be training out at Trinity Grammar. I'd have to drive to the Junction Oval, do my weight session straight after the big long um, footy session. And then I'd drive in the afternoon to Sandringham Athletics Track to do our sprint training. We had nothing. Our president, our CEO, every two years, they came in and they'd have all these grandiose plans to fix everything. Dom and Joe had money. That didn't really eventuate. Uh, and that, you know, I don't know. If I can't tell you why they didn't fix it or what their uh, motives were. And I don't want to bash anybody, but it didn't work. Uh, we had no money, $5 million, $6 million in debt. Um it just was a horrible situation. Yet, Neil Danaher, the reverend, who became the reverend because he started to talk up the club because he hated that people were talking us down, he knew what was going on behind closed doors and he knew people had no sense of it. Um, he felt sorry for the club. Coming from Essendon, he knew what it was like to have a good structure. So he went into bat for us. Uh, no one else would. We played every second year of final. We played second most amount of finals in that era in Neil Danaher's time than any other team in Victoria other than Essendon. So that's not a bad result, really. You're talking about Carlton here. You're talking about these really big clubs. We were able to produce that. I think I played 13 finals. Not too bad, playing a grand final. Uh, the Probably the trend was from that. We just didn't have confidence in what we were doing. We got bundled out of the finals and we'd be so shattered about that. And then you'd look to the club for a bit of support. It just wasn't there. You'd be traveling all over. And then the back-to-the-wall mentality that would develop for the next year, the year after the down year, we'd tend to do all right. We couldn't quite go all the way for all the reasons I'm telling you right now. In my mind, that's why. And we probably didn't have just quite enough talent. Didn't have enough money to pay him. We're paying 91% of the salary cap. Uh, so Neil really did have to fight. The worrying concern now is, I guess the next question will be, 
Melbourne in uh, 2019, Melbourne in 2018. What are we going to see in 2020? Uh, it's going to be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Better yep. than last year. Have you ever seen a bigger fall from grace? No. No, not at all. I think uh, it capitulated um, because of, uh, again... Was it as a result of that game in Perth, Rob? Are there scars from that game that still exist because it was such a mauling that yeah, day? I think so, yeah, absolutely. Only because I've experienced it like that before. There was my experience playing for, for Melbourne. We'd have a good year, then we'd not make it, and then you'd look to the club for that support and you'd go, oh, it's not there really, and then we'd have a bad year. I can't say that about the club now because the club is so set up. The administrator's there. Jim Steins comes along, erases all that money in the debt demolition night where all these wealthy people came together and, and we made the $5 million in one night even more and we fixed the debt. From there, we've been able to go from strength to strength. Um, Paul Roos comes in, Peter Jackson, into Simon Goodwin now. We've got um, down there at Amy Park. We couldn't afford to get uh, Olympic Park when Collingwood got it. So we didn't quite get there for that, but we've got uh, Amy Park now. Great training facility, money in the bank, um, making – we're in the in the black every year. Uh, there's no excuses there is what I'm saying. So this year, we need to fix it. Last year, a lot of blokes were put out to injury, uh, to um, uh, operations, and I reckon that was probably the main reason why we weren't able to recapture that form, that we weren't able to get our senior players fit enough to play the game of football. And it, because of the, the game is so – uh, finite now. You have to be at your best every single week or you're going to get smashed. That's what happened. We got smashed because we weren't at our best at all during the year. We're just about out of time, but I've got two brief questions that I want to put to you. First of all, 2020 coming up, 20 years yeah. since that grand final. Yeah. Does it still stick in your guts yeah. to this day? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We knew we were up against it. Uh, this great team that but we saw the Bulldogs game and we knew that there was a chance, you know, that they, our mentality was if it bleeds, we can kill it. You know, we were a young bunch of blokes that were, you know, all those guys that I'd spoken to earlier in this podcast, they'd moved on. Stephen Phoebe was probably the only one left. Um, Gary was gone, you know, Schwarter was still there. Nita was probably the last of the older guys and he was still a young guy there. So we were really young and up and about, um, uh, you're playing against this juggernaut. And I think if we'd taken our chances early, we blame Nita because he missed three goals early. So yeah, I'm going to go to It's yeah. his fault again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm 19, mate, at the time. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, and how many times have you heard a player say that? Oh, well. It'll come. It'll come. Yeah. You know, we've got this uh, opportunity. It's all there in front of us. You know, good players. We've made it this far. How can we not? But now all I've got is memories of a wonderful time, you know, the the, the parade and family coming over and friends. My phone battery was dead by lunchtime every day. People trying to find tickets. That's all they really want. They, mm. they thought they were ringing up to say good luck. <laughs> no, they really wanted tickets. Um, and that's all I've got now. Um, and plus all the stories that I've told you. I had a, a ball of a time and it was a whole lifetime ago. Now I'm having balls with the next portion of it. Um, and, and, you know, like I said to you, I was that little kid in the front yard with dad who just loved the game of football, just really wanted to take a mark mm. and kick a goal. Now, people say to me all the time, you love the hanger. I love a hanger. It's a good feeling and a good crowd reaction. I loved a goal. I just wanted to kick a goal because that roar when the crowd, you get six points for your team, 
and that relaxed feeling your mates come over and pat you on the back that that feeling of of love of being accepted of well done you know you, I love that the most I'd jump over my own grandmother to get a goal and if jumping on someone's back to take a mark was the only way I could get the ball to get there that's why I did that well, you kicked 428 of the goals, but my last question is about a mark, that little kid who used to jump up with the contraption that his dad invented. A couple of years ago, Jeremy Howe took one of the greatest marks I've ever seen, yeah. and yeah. it didn't get mark of the year. Yeah. Are you ticked off that you never got mark of the year after all the ones that you pulled in? <laughs> a little. A little. <laughs> in other words, uh, a lot. <laughs> what was your best one? Oh, there was what a... was the one that should have won mark of the year? Well... Every year there'd be one little shit like Gary Moorcroft that yeah. would take something that would just hit one of my good ones. You know, I'd be like, you bastard. I think Skinny Lappin took one round one against uh, Richmond and Carlton when he was playing for Carlton. I was like, well, no one's going to beat that for the rest of the year. That was unbelievable. We tried. I tried. Uh, Kev Shee said to me one day, if there was an award for the person that took the most consistent sort of aerial sort of, then you'd win that. And I was happy enough with that. But there was one mark against the West Coast Eagles, uh, but it was in a pre-season game. And it's, you know, you can YouTube that one. It's That would probably be my best mark. But let me tell you about, really quickly, uh, the best uh, feeling I've had individually uh, out on a football field. And it's not about being an individual. I know all of that, but this was just a wonderful thing, right? You think about being a little kid kicking the ball around the front yard and then you fast forward 15, 10 years, whatever it is, and you're experiencing this one moment and you can't believe it. I've taken this mark over Dale Kickett, Etihad Stadium, whatever it was called then. And uh, as I've gone over the top of him, uh, it was Superman. I was you know, it's diving like Superman is what I mean by that. And my well, my hip hit his temple and knocked him clean out, right, as I'm going by at a million miles an hour. I've taken this really good mark. It was degree of difficulty really, really hard but I've gone over the top of both the players, so it was high as well, and the crowd just went mental. So as I stood up, I played on, I turned around, I saw Big Schwarter lead into the pocket, I put it out in front of him, he used his body, took a mark, went back, kicked. A, I played on, kicked a point. So I had to go and stand in the zone, right in front of the Demon Army, the Melbourne supporters, and they played, replayed the um, the mark over and over as Dale Kick has been carried off the ground. So I've got all this time to wait as he's getting walked off the ground. And the... You're looking at yourself on the screen taking this mark. Then the Demon Army started chanting, Robo, Robo. And that starts reverberating around the Etihad Stadium. The whole crowd are going, Robo. And you're just smiling, going, This is awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a whole stadium chanting my name. And I was just a little kid 10 years ago kicking the ball around the front yard. Life is just so good. That is a perfect way to finish our chat with a smile on your face, Robbo. It was a pleasure to watch you. I look forward to seeing you on the big screen where you were after you took that mark. But now, these days, you're part of the pregame entertainment. I look forward to seeing you on the big screen next year. Pete, thanks for uh, letting me talk about my favourite subject, which is myself. (laughs) Uh, It's been nice to really recount the old times. And you do it very well. (laughs) Russell Robertson joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed our chat. We'll have another great of Australian sport with us same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.